energy back in the, I won't even say we were back when, but it was back a long time ago. Back yeah. before it was, it was, or I was hip and then didn't get hip. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Rockstar CMO FM. M is the marketing the F. It's well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly hit of Marketing Street Knowledge, where we share straight-talking marketing advice from our community of marketing writers and CMOs. And this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat to that band. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com and at Rockstar CMO on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This episode is recorded on Friday the 11th of December. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week, that you're well, keeping safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On the set list this week, Christine Bailey, CMO of Valita, again joins me for a dip into the pages of her book, Customer Insight Strategies. I chat to Jeff Clark, former Principal Analyst at Serious Decisions Forrester. And I again round off the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? If you're a regular listener, well, thanks for that for a start. You'll know that for the last couple of weeks, we have been running a short series diving into Christine Bailey's first book. If you're not familiar with Christine, she is the CMO of Valata, an international payment solution. Christine is a regular contributor to our Rockstar CMO community, sharing her wonderful B2B marketing experience gained at big B2B brands like Hewlett-Packard and Cisco Systems, and is an award-winning marketing professional that includes being voted number one woman in tech, by B2B Marketing and has a doctorate DBA in Customer Insights from the Cranfield School of Management here in the UK. Christine recently added author to her list of achievements and her book, Customer Insights Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing, was published last month by Kogan Page. This is the third part of our four-part interview. Last week, we covered insights in planning. This week, we dive into insights and customers. Welcome back, Christine. Uh, so we're going to continue to chat about your book, uh, as I mentioned before the start of this. Um, we're now moving into uh, the third in our series of four, and I wanted to focus on insights and customers. Uh, and what I liked about, um, I mean, you just cover everything, I think, this whole book. But what I liked here is that you, um, in Chapter 7, you talk about using insight for customer acquisition. So you go through every sort of stage of the customer engagement and look at how insight works for them. So in, in chapter seven, you talked about customer acquisition and you talked about four game changers. Tell us about those game changers. Yeah, I think, I mean, firstly, I think we have to completely rethink customer acquisition. You know, we've got to move away from thinking, this is the tactic, you know, who's the target audience for my tactic, rather to think the other way around, you know, who is the target audience and what's the best tactic to reach them? You know, right. so we need to move from, you know, thinking about how many leads are we going to get to what outcome am I looking for? What results do I need? Yeah. And um, 
I have to admit, this was probably the hardest chapter to write because I could have written an entire, cha- you know, entire book on mm. on customer acquisition. So I, I think thought, people well, have, haven't they? <laughs> well, yes, they probably exactly better than me. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, how, how can I do this chapter? Because you, you know, you have to include customer acquisition. But I thought, mm-hmm. well, what are the four game changers? Because I thought there were sort of leading companies would have two things in common. You know, they're using propensity models or predictive analytics, and they're using insights to identify how, how people feel or how they behave. So I thought that based on that, what would be, you know, what are my four game changers? And those four game changers, well, the first one is behavior-based marketing, or uh, some people call it intent-based analytics. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, it's it's so much about how people behave rather than what you know it's what they do rather than what they say they're going to do i mean how often have we said we're going to you know do one thing and then we do something completely different and i think this is really important particularly now with covid is you know when we've got a lot less physical interaction with people we really you know we've got all this great digital footprint data about how people have actually behaved so you know we 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 need to listen to that um so that's the first one. Uh, the second one is next best action. And this is where, you know, clever analytics will take into account what a customer's done in the past, their history, their behavior, interests, challenges, blends this all together mm-hmm. with external sources of insight and using some, throw in some artificial intelligence as well. And it will predict what the next step is that an organization should take, which will both you know, aligned to the customers, uh, to the organization's marketing goals, but also most importantly, is going to meet the needs of the customer at that moment in time, because things just change constantly. I love it when, you know, the sales leaders say to you, well, can't you just see, you know, what's the cheapest way of acquiring a customer and do more of that? And it was like, mm-hmm. if only it were that easy, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it just constantly changes at any moment in time. And that's what you can do with next best action. And there's a few companies that are doing this really well. So Cisco is an absolute master of uh, NBA or Next Best Action. And and we've got a case study of what they're doing in the book. Mm. So that's the second one. Um, The third game changer, which I learned all about from my uh, digital agency, Coast Digital, is biometrics. So biometrics is facial expression analysis, um, Uh eye tracking. Mm-hmm. And something called galvanic, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, skin response or GSR. My word, this is, gives you a whole new dimension um, mm-hmm. on individuals' emotional responses to your marketing messages that they m- may not even know themselves. Right. And another, another thing is like where you look and where you click are two different things. Yeah. And an interesting um, experiment here that Cisco did, uh, they, they sat behind a glass wall and they gave their target audience some test journeys to make through their website and saw if where they looked and where they clicked as they went through that journey were what they expected and they found it actually wasn't you know so some fascinating things there with biometrics and the last one I think you can't uh, not talk about is SEO or search engine optimization because yes you've got to get your keywords and your phrases right but I mean that's only the beginning you've Mm -hmm. got to serve up relevant and emotionally resonant content and that's just as important for for seo so th- right. those are my four game changers yeah yeah well you're talking my language when you talk about content absolutely i completely yeah. agree and i also I, I also really like that idea about testing i've been involved in a 
number of tests like that myself. And I'm surprised how few organizations actually do that kind of testing on their website. Because when you listen to what how people react to your brand new shiny website, your baby, it's quite um, sobering <laughs> sometimes, yeah. you know, <laughs> what people really think and how they're going to click on things. You'll think, what are you doing? Why are you clicking there? And it's, you know, these are your yeah. books. So I think that's really interesting. So that's I chapter, mean, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, colour psychology plays yeah. a massive role as well. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so so that was chapter seven. That was really good. And I agree with you. I mean, we could we could talk the whole show just about chapter seven and mm-hmm. you write a whole book about it. But in chapter eight, you then follow this up about not just acquiring customers, but how do we retain customers? And you quote some interesting stats. And by the way, the case studies also that you include are great as well. And then how um, how this part of the customer journey is often neglected by marketing compared to how much we over-index in talking about customer acquisition and putting folks in customer acquisition. What's your view of the role of customer insight at this phase, at this retention phase? Yeah, I mean, just to share a few facts, I mean, it's crazy, mm-hmm. isn't it? We, we know it's five to 25 times more expensive to acquire a new customer yes than to retain an existing one. But but yeah. we, all, we all focus on acquisition, don't we? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got 60 to 70% chance of selling to an existing customer, whereas yeah. we've only got a 5 to 20% chance of selling to a new customer. Right. Um, so, so why do we do that? Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, the chapter eight is all about using customer analytics uh, for, you know, for development and retention. And... I think about four different types of insights or analytics that we could use. So the first one is just what I would call general customer measures. So the basic things that you you need to know about your customers, you know, who are they? When did they buy from you? What did they buy from you? What's the uh, average amount they spend? Uh, If they bought this, then did they buy that? Uh, Where are they based in the country? whatever makes sense for your organization there's lots of you know just general things you need to know about your customers in order to target them with other offers and to retain them mm-hmm. and then we get to more complex things like customer lifetime value where we think about you know how much did it cost us to acquire that customer mm-hmm. and how much is that customer worth to us over the lifetime so for example if you're not getting to profitability until four years, but you're losing your customers after two, that's yeah. not great, is it? You know, yeah. so, you know, what are they worth worth to us over the lifetime? Yeah. Um, and kind of related to that is the share of customer wallet. So mm-hmm. how much have you got of the customer's spending power? You know, if you've only got a tiny portion of what you know the customer's got to spend, that's probably a better customer to target than one where you've, you know, you've got, you've yeah. already got the lion's share of that customer wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the last one is the customer lifecycle analysis. So this is where companies will want different things at different stages in their life cycle. So a customer that's, um, you know, if I put it into the payments world, if they're setting up business, they're likely to be what we would call new to cards. Whereas mm-hmm. if they're more established, then they're more likely to be a switcher. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you need to treat them differently. And yeah. also the types of products that a, a startup is going to want to need will be entirely different to the types of products that somebody further further down in, in, um, in their journey will. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, another way to think about customer lifecycle is to think of um, events and triggers. So what would be an event and a trigger 
that you could use to send a targeted offer. Now, a sort of obvious one is where you've sold something that's on, you know, like a, a, a software license, for example, that yeah. comes up for renewal or a product goes end of life, or it could be a life event. I mean, the bank use this a lot, you know, like major life events are likely to trigger, mm-hmm. you know, needing a mortgage or needing a mm-hmm. loan or whatever. So think about what those events and triggers would be in your customer's life cycle and think about when you could send a targeted offer at mm-hmm. that point to, to mm-hmm. capture that, that event. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And the, the, the interesting thing about that as well, of course, is, is throughout the customer journey, you need to keep up some contact and nurture, right? You can't just spring out the bushes the moment it's their birthday and say, Absolutely. here's an offer. Yeah. <laughs> They're just a bit surprised. Well, that's fantastic. So we've covered seven and eight in this uh, in this episode. That's uh, Insights and Customers. And so we'll return for the final chapter of the book next week. Thank you very much, Christine. And we'll see Thank you again. Then. Thank you. Right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, Christine. Her book really does cover all the bases. And I will, of course, include links to her book, Twitter and LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. You should really check those out. Before we move on to the interview, I have some news we allude to in our discussion. As some of you know, by day, I'm the founder and chief bottle washer at Propingo, a marketing advisory and consulting firm. As people seem to struggle with the name, we are renaming this to Rockstar CMO Advisors. And you can find details of that on the Rockstar CMO website. Enough of that. Right, on to the interview. Jeff Clark is a creative marketing executive with over 30 years of experience running corporate and product marketing teams at profitable enterprise software companies and small startups. Most recently, he was principal analyst for marketing operations at Forrester Serious Decisions, where he helped clients to improve planning and execution processes, including the adoption of integrated campaign strategies, MarTech optimization and agile marketing to better align teams and improve outcomes. But aside from that, Jeff is a wonderful fella. He's a former colleague, and it was my pleasure to hit record and capture some of the good stuff. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. That's very nice okay. to meet you and very nice to speak to you. Um, <laughs> we have met before. <laughs> we have met a number of times before. Uh, we've known each other for a number of years. Um, but for, for uh, folks that don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I, I have been in, uh, I've gotten the software business, and I hate to say this, 35 years ago in a in kind of a sale, hybrid sales and marketing role. And um it was a small startup company, uh, and um, you know. Then I went to another startup company. Then I went to a more mature company, and just got more uh, entrenched, 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 entrenched in the in the um, in the marketing field, and uh, yeah. kind of moved up in management ranks. And then I and then so I worked all I kind of after the couple of startups, I worked at a you know number of um, mid-sized software companies. You know, Chronos, mm-hmm. Progress, Pegasystems. We were at SDL. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I spent the last um, four and a half years at uh, Serious Decisions, which got acquired mm-hmm. by Forrester Research, being mm-hmm. an analyst and helping people do good marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a big fan of Serious Decisions. I hope that um, because I've always felt they were very generous in in the blog and what they shared and the advice they gave, even if you weren't a client. But uh, you know, I've been a client before as well. Really good. I hope I hope they do well. Uh, 
as as Forrester too, and that, that yep. continues. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, what actually um, what inspired you to get into marketing back back then? Well, you know, it, so yeah, it's interesting because um, you know, I mean, I always considered writing one of my core skills, and uh, but my first job out of college was was working um, for the governor's office in New Hampshire, promoting solar energy. Back in mm-hmm. the, I won't even say what back when, but it was back a long time ago. <laughs> back yeah. before it was, it was, or I was hip, and then it didn't get yeah. hip, and now it's hip again. But anyway, um, and you know, and what I realized is that a lot of the skills of what I was doing, because it was it was more promotional uh, in nature, was I was doing marketing. Mm-hmm. And then when I got into this small software company, and I was in this kind of sales and marketing role. I realized I really gravitated to the marketing side, you know, creating yeah. catalogs, writing copy promotions and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. uh, and although I feel I got a, a kind of an understanding of what it's like to be a salesperson with a quota yeah. and trying to hit numbers and stuff like that, it, yeah. th- that wasn't, that wasn't what motivated me. So, yeah. um, so my, my next job at a startup, actually, um, <laughs> this was an interesting story is because the, the person who hired me wanted to make sure I could write on demand. Mm-hmm. So she sat me in a room with a vase full of dead flowers and says, <laughs> wow. you've got 10 minutes, write something. Wow. <laughs> and I wrote about the experience of being put in a room with a vase of dead flowers and, 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 and kind of amazed her. And she was like, you're hired. Excellent. Now you're writing press releases. <laughs> oh, excellent. I love that. And actually, um, we, I wasn't going to, we were going to just talk about marketing, but I also think it's interesting that you're sort of back um, with the environmental um, passion that I guess was ignited back then as well then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it um, I grew, I mean, I grew up in the oil crisis during the oil crisis in the U S yeah. and so um like a lot of people, I got involved in, you know, areas of renewable energy, et cetera. And, yeah. um, and now it's, that's a whole area that our kind of our future, future life on the planet kind of depends on us making a, a swifter, smoother transition to yeah. uh, a new energy basis for economy. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, in, in addition to doing marketing work, I'm also trying to do some work on promoting using my promotional skills yeah. on the policy level. Yeah, no, I love that. And um, you've always had, um, you've always been sort of principled and involved with things in the community and stuff for as long as I've known you. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, So what are you actually doing right now? Well, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. Um, It's (laughs) early early here. And, um, (laughs) but, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying working uh, as in CMO rockstar advisors. I say Mm -hmm. rockstar CMO advisors. Yes. You got to get the branding right. And, um, (laughs) and uh, so doing work for um, a number of small and mid-sized companies, um, mostly technology, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that that way mm-hmm. and that's probably that's half my time the other half of my time i've been i've been doing work with um uh, a couple of groups again trying to promote uh ideas around um sensible climate legislation again using you know building websites messaging you know pre- putting presentations yeah. together that people can give to to legislators etc right so, so um yeah so that's revealed that 
that Jeff, you've joined the band of Rockstar CMO advisors. So welcome aboard. That's fantastic. A little promotion. And I do, I do play bass and guitar. So, <laughs> so when well, we go live, I, I can help there. Well, the other thing about um, about me creating Rockstar CMO is I can't do any of those things. <laughs> one of the most terrifying things in my family since my kids were small is my wife can sing and my children can sing. And so they love doing um, karaoke. You know, in, in the house, and that that just that just scares the life out of me when I have to join in and do karaoke with them. You could just spin the record. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, so, um, so you're, you're providing advice to, to CMOs, and you have done for some time with your work with Serious Decisions and the work we've done together previously. Um, so let's get back to marketing. Um, and a partic- and you and I were chatting about the role of CMO, which is actually why I invited you onto the podcast rather than to talk about Rockstar CMO advisors. Um, so popular top- it's a popular topic on this podcast is the role of the CMO, which seems to be changing. We're seeing the rise of the chief growth officer and all that good stuff. And I'm going to be slightly provocative here. What's going wrong for CMOs right now? Well, I think that, I mean, there are, Certainly, there are a, a number of, of of issues, and and sometimes the issue is the company in which the CMO or company organization which the CMO moves into, as much mm-hmm. as the CMO themselves. But you know, a lot of CMOs have come up from the sort of marketing, communications, branding side. Uh, a lot of them have also come up from the product side, particularly if you're in a lot of tech companies where mm-hmm. they're very product focused. You know, then they get into this role, and they've got to sit in the on the executive team and provide value and, 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 you know, like normal human beings, you kind of bring what, what brought you (laughs) to the table. And so you may say, Oh, we need to rebrand the company. Or you may say, you know, we just need to focus on product launches or, or um, whatever that, that dynamic is and not really understanding that my gosh, you're, you're actually in a, you're in a new role. That's very Mm -hmm. different from your previous roles. And you've got to understand what you can provide to that executive team Mm -hmm. that adds value to the executive team, but not just manage up. How do you actually run a marketing organization where you're trying to translate what, the strategy is to, yeah. to everybody in marketing so that everybody, you know, no matter what the size of the organization is, everybody understands what their role is in, mm-hmm. in, in executing that strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that's challenging. Um, it, it, and it, one of the things I went to a conference many, many years ago, and there was a guy who was the CEO of, um, I think he had just recently left the CEO of Porsche. He was an American engineer, went to run Porsche and, and he had lots of interesting stories about, about that from a cultural perspective. But one of the things he said, (laughs) he really understood was, was that, um, and this has really stuck with me is that a good strategy that is well executed gets Mm -hmm. better results than the perfect strategy that is executed poorly. So, so oftentimes people yeah. get, they get wound up in trying to rethink things and make it perfect and better, better. And yeah. here's the, the phrase that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they don't, they just don't understand that it's, we've got to, you know, develop a strategy, long-term view of what the company is trying to do and what's the yeah. CMO's role in helping understand right. that. And then how do I make sure that when I go into my planning sessions with my marketing leadership team, yeah. that they understand the strategy and everybody is locked in on it 
Yeah. And it's like, you don't want to dictate what everybody does, but you want to give them the guidance because that's really yeah. essential to say, oh, me as a digital marketer. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. I know who I'm going after and what the message should be and what the strategy yeah. was and what my goals are. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I've found that in, in my work where I've talked to organizations and you, you, walk, you go around the marketing team and you realize that people actually have conflicting goals and metrics and, and you know, you, you've, you've got people that are being um, rewarded on web hits or vanity metrics and then you've got yeah. other and much more nuanced goals and actually vanity metrics works against what they're doing. So I think it's really interesting. So, so, so really we're talking about there about aligning with the, the C-suite in terms of, of, of strategy. Um, so where, and, and, and Mark and the CMO need to adopt that sort of strategic thinking. Where do you advise that people start with that if, if they're new in the CMO role? Well, I think that um, one is to get, an understanding of what marketing can provide to that team that is, um, uh, you know, that's, well, you know, I mean, there's a number of ways to look at this. I and mean, one is like, what, what's marketing good at that can actually help the team. And then the other is like, what are things that, that are my skills that I can help with the team. And I, I worked with a, under a CMO uh, years ago who was not necessarily a, um, you know, a, a, a marketing genius, but he, he did have a really good, understanding of how to analyze the customer base, the partner base, and help develop what the company strategy should be based on that assessment. Right. So right. they're very good analytical skills that that the other people, because he was new to the company, the other people in the company either had their their, you know, their sort of traditional blinders on and this is the way we've always done it, or for whatever yeah. reason, they couldn't get over that that hump. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was to to say, uh, well, how's that now that we know what our our, our sort of our long term and our short term strategies are, mm-hmm. um, how does that get reflected in how we put the budget together? Um, mm-hmm. How I goal people, um, you know, what teams are responsible for what? Uh, yeah, and yeah. and um, so I think that that's that's the the sort of like you you sort of like need to put yourself in a position where you're saying, how am I going to help? You know. Yeah. Develop what the long-term vision is. How am I going to communicate that down? Right, right. And then, um, then presumably, you need to sort of. I mean, we've we've been discussing this for a while, and I have a client that's going through this process. You then need to align marketing around these goals and and who does what. Um, what's your recommendation there in terms of how how you structure the marketing team? Um, do, do you do you have a, a particular view on 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 that? I mean, because the challenge, isn't it, is there's lots of great models. Serious decisions, for example, create some great models around the way that a marketing team would structure. But of course, as a new CMO, you come in and you've got a bunch of people who have got a bunch of different skills. Do you build the team around? Do you build the process and discipline around who you have, or do you or you try it, or you, do you start with the model and try and fit around the model? What's what's your view there? Well, I think that that it's. Um... You know, in in hiring and managing people, it's it, uh, well, I should say, in hiring, understanding skills and stuff like that. It it probably starts with an understanding of, of the right functional model. So, you know, people tend to get into their careers and start working up a certain set of skills, and they fit. You know, like they're either in comms and you know have PR and writing skills, or they're you know they're digital marketers or whatever. And so you yeah. so you may say, well, given given the company strategy, if the company strategy is all new net new uh, business or it's account-based marketing and selling, 
Yeah. You may have a slightly different functional model. Yeah. But it's good to start with a functional model and then say, so now that I've got a team together with a set of functions and skills, now I want to actually look at my business objectives and, and think about my business objectives about the various segments of, of yeah. um, the market we're going after. So, you know, yeah. we got, you know, big enterprise companies, little companies, partners, yeah. whatever. And then, and then say, well, now how do I align those people that are in the, working in those functional teams? How do I align their work right. to help meet those business objectives? Yeah. And once you kind of overlay that matrix, you may find, well, I actually do need a few more people to slot into a certain role or do a certain yeah. thing. Yeah. But, but at, at least I've, I've tried to align, yeah. you know, what sort of traditional roles are with what the business objectives and how marketing is going to serve those. Right. Right. And sort of related to that. So we, so that's kind of, so we have our team and we're sort of aligning our team around those things that we need to get done. I can see the matrix in my, in my head. Um, what about uh, our agencies and freelancers and that sort of ecosystem around what we do? How do you go about them making sure that those folks are the best fit for what we need to do? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think, I mean, there's one of the, these, these models that, that, you know, we worked with um, at serious decisions, which is kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a simple way of thinking about I've got business objectives that that are supporting being supported by a strategy, you know, strategy, you know, we're doing upsell, cross sell, or we're going after net new, or we're retaining customers. That's going to help set what marketing's priorities and goals are mm-hmm. and tell us what marketing needs to do. And those, those things that we need to do, um, mm. uh, they've got dependencies, right? So the dependencies may be we need to hire people. We need this is where we need the agency to come in. Uh, this is where we need technology to help us scale up functions yeah. that that are having issues. Yeah. Um, so so it's it's the dependencies that should drive your yeah. technology decisions, your agency decisions, your yeah. you know uh, yeah, yeah. staffing uh, you know staffing changes. Yeah, you know, uses of different process models, you know, getting into agile versus, you know, other ways of ex- executing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that draws up so many other things I'd like to get, like to go into there. I think, um, you know, there's so many new, well, some of them are completely fatty, aren't they? In, in that people are sort of driving towards these these new disciplines that, that are being created. And maybe we'll cover those in another conversation. But the, one of the things you just talked about there was about technology, similar to sort of the agency. You know, you, you're in you're in a new organization. And you're looking across the piece. Where 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 do you sit in in terms of Martech? I know that you're somewhat of an expert. We've worked together um, in marketing operations and, and marketing, looking at marketing technology. Where do you think people should start when they evaluate the martech they have um as a new cmo yeah well i I think that again it comes back to understanding those dependencies and Mm -hmm. um there are certainly there are uh you know there's a sort of a core base of technology that even when you're in a startup mode you know you've you know you've got to have a crm system you've got to have a website you've got to have some way of communicating you know marketing automation platforms yeah um and then, and you got to have a way of managing your data, data by yeah. clients or, you know, uh, whether it's behavior or contact information, all of that. And that yeah. kind of forms the basis of which most every marketing organization needs to run on. And then right. as, you, as you grow and you build up, you really should be thinking about, again, where are those dependencies and how mm-hmm. is my go-to-market model 
dictate the types of technology I would I would acquire. Mm-hmm. Or if I've if I because certainly I've done a lot of tech assessments with large companies that were didn't have a lot of discipline about how they bought things. And so, yeah. you know, if I had a budget that I could buy things that are, you know, ten thousand dollars, I could get on a SaaS, you know, yeah. marketing app platform, you know, pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, All of yeah. a sudden then the marketing operations people are like, oh my gosh, we've got yeah. I remember talking to companies that had, you know, hundreds of pieces of technology. Yeah, yeah. And so then you got to sort through and and just like, you know, your campaigns and your tactics and the actions, you you need to ask the question, what fits in the strategy, what doesn't fit in the strategy? Yeah. And what yeah. and what can be modified to fit in the strategy or where do I have a tool that yeah. that I can, you know, cuz most people don't use everything the all the capabilities within the I was gonna tool. Ask that. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you know, where do I have something that I can actually expand and extend yeah. to, to to help fit our strategy? So again, it's gotta be it, yeah, it needs yeah. to be driven by those objectives, which is tough for technology because the planning tends to go in, you know, annual or semi-annual cycles, whereas mm-hmm. when you buy a tool and you're on a subscription right. for a couple of years and it's easier yeah. to renew it than it is to yeah. uh, buy another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good. So we've covered quite a lot of ground there and I'm conscious of time. Um, I've got one final question that I ask all of my guests on Rockstar CMO FM. The... We have a regular feature called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, the portal to hell for all the BS, snake oil, and crap that clogs up this craft that we love. What would you throw into the Rockstar, Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool? I would. I mean, we. I, I mentioned it earlier, but I would throw branding into the pool. Um, <laughs> I love it. And and as one who's done many rebrands, <laughs> product naming and logos and colors yeah. and blah blah yeah. blah. Matter of fact, I'm doing that right now with a company. Um, <laughs> and um, but um, it is you know too often it's what somebody coming to a CM role they start with. And, yeah. and and so so in some cases like the one I'm working on right now, it, it's actually it's it's very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, but too often, I mean, there was a company that I worked with, I well, should go nameless. I mean, they've changed their colors and their logos three times in less than 10 years. And, and it's like, the, the, to me, the the people that were in, in power trying to do that just didn't understand that's not going to get you any more dollars yeah, it's like yeah. revenue. It, yeah. It's going to make you feel, it may make you feel better about yourself yeah. or whatever, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. but when you've gone from, you know, blue to orange to green to pink to, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Uh, you start having, um, uh, there's just a lot of dissonance there for the market. And that's actually yeah. true. It's like, that creates dissonance in the market. So yeah. to me, um, and one of the things is that you don't want to start, you want to start with the strategy part of branding. So mm-hmm. I, now that I, you know, I'm going to go out, I'm going to try to understand the customers and their needs. Yeah. Now that I understand their needs, I can create a message. Yeah. Does that message clash with the way we look and act like a company? And if it does, now I need to think about how I evolve the brand. Right. But that's, that could be years, you know, a year or yeah. two into a CMO's life cycle as opposed yeah. to the first thing you do out of the gate. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And we see that we see that so often. And it's interesting. You're in the you're in a rebranding. I'm working with a client who's in a rebranding. <laughs> but I think I think um the client I'm working with certainly um is doing it for the right reasons. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um so so I think CMOs the first thing they do is rebranding should definitely be going into the pool. This has been a delightful conversation as usual with you, Jeff. I, I always enjoy sitting down with you and it's nice to press record on this one. Um when people spin the dial on the internet, where are they going to find you? Well, um, you'll still find some of my material on seriousdecisions.com. Uh, LinkedIn, obviously, is a is a is an obvious place to find me. And then in the future, you'll find me on rockstarcmo.com. Yeah, you will. And I'll include links to all of your, your links. I mean, Jeff Clark's are quite hard to find, aren't they, on LinkedIn? There's quite a few of you guys. So I'll include a link to, to, to that and to your work on Serious Decisions uh, in the show notes. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ian. Great yeah, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jeff. Another wonderful entry for the Rockstar CMO swim pool. We seem to be inadvertently chucking all of marketing into the pool bit by bit. I will, of course, include links to Jeff and his work in the show notes. I'm very much looking forward to collaborating with Jeff, and you'll hear more from him on this podcast in 2021. Right, it's Friday evening here at the London Penthouse. Time to wind down for the weekend. And what better way than to join my friend, and content marketing mentor Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's been very nice to see you in the bar, as usual. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a common occurrence, a weekly occurrence, if you Indeed. will. Um, um, you know, t- uh, tonight um, we have something really nice. Uh, this is, you know, I have been longing for uh, travel. Oh, uh, and uh, we've been going through another lockdown here in our wonderful California. Yes. Um, and I really, really had this sort of, you know, miss for New York. Oh, um, wow. And so tonight's drink is a Manhattan, but it is a special Manhattan because I've been enjoying a lot of Italian food uh-huh. um, of late. And so I'm calling it a black Manhattan. Oh. And it's a bullet rye whiskey, which is mm-hmm. dark in itself, but then mixed with Amaro Averna, uh, which is a Sicilian uh, liqueur, uh, but it's black. I mean, it, it, so it makes right. a very dark drink, um, and it is absolutely spectacular. So you take you a little bit of that bullet rye, mm-hmm. a little bit of Amaro Averna just to sweeten things up and make it nice, um, and then add in your favorite garnish, whether that's a cherry or a little bit of orange or whatever, and Bob's your uncle, you have a ah. lovely black Manhattan. And then that's what you're calling it, a black man. Well, I'm going to cast my eye across my extensive bar here on my desk. Yeah. And yeah, um, I'm going to start. Um, do, you, you're, not, you're not putting ice in your Manhattans, are you? 
Uh, well, you know, actually, this one has one rock in it, so ah, this is a um, good. You know, yeah. Well, that sounds like more than one, but okay. So, well, two of them <laughs> stuck together. Does that count? Yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> and then, um, uh, let's see. What have they got here? I have got a Hendrix gin. Ah, so, uh, that's, uh, that's that's pretty close to a bullet rye. Yeah, yeah well, in 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 some some cultures. Yeah. Let's have a bit so, of that. <laughs> right. And then um, and then and then what was the what was that lovely sounding Italian drink? Maro Averna. Right. Okay. Uh, and I may be pronouncing it my my Italian is not what it uh yes. well it's never been. <laughs> Let's yes. just be clear. It's never been my Italian. <laughs> um, but um uh I may be but it's a it's a lovely Sicilian liqueur. Nice. Well as you may have heard as the hissing went on as you were speaking, that was not a problem with the audio. That was me opening a bottle of fever tree cucumber tonic water, which is Oh, there it is. No, it's not Italy. tomorrow, but um, yeah. <laughs> so let's stick a little bit of that in there. Ah, that's. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going for a huge gin tonic here because that's Manhattan esque. I'm going to taste it. Oh, that's very nice, Robert. Very reminiscent of many places we've been to. I wouldn't say I, I tasted New York in there, and I must confess the darkness isn't in my drink as much as it was in yours so i seem to have missed the mark but uh, cheers um yeah cheers, and yeah. what was it you were drinking this was the black manhattan yeah that sounds delicious now um okay, am i can i hazard a guess where it is we're going to be drinking these I, you know, I think if you guessed New York, you would probably be correct because I have, yeah, I've been jonesing for a little bit oh. of uh, New York, and uh, I, I, yeah, it, we we need to go. We need we need to go to Manhattan yeah. anywhere, basically in Manhattan, and just you know, I, it's, I I was thinking about this because. You know, this time of year, Manhattan is just lit up yeah. with all of the festive lights yeah. and everything. And yeah. gosh, I miss that. I miss the smells of New York, you yeah. know, both the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, all the restaurants and everything. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just, I miss it. Yeah. Facebook is killing me at the moment because it's reminding me. Um, I think, yeah. So, so we, when, when we moved over, we moved over just before, um, uh, just before Thanksgiving and stuff, the first time we came, we, we were up in Stanford uh, and I was I was based in New York. And then the other day, it, there was a photo of the truck arriving and we were, we, you know, we were in Connecticut and uh, working in New York. And, all, and Facebook is perpetually reminding me of New York at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fantastic, though. Yeah, so New York, and that is actually a place where we've drank in real life. So that's uh, we have, that's, we have indeed. That's good. So um, we are. Uh, uh, where are you picturing us? Uh, I mean, there's so many choices. Are we upscale somewhere really, really nice? Or are we- well, we're always upscale. Yeah, <laughs> I am not. A, I am not going to enjoy a craft cocktail at uh, one of the local pubs. Um, you know, we will be upscale somewhere. I I picture us somewhere downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, Either in uh, you know in Soho yeah. uh, or somewhere in Greenwich, nice. um, and uh, there is a, there is a one of my favorite hotels in the entire world is down in Soho mm-hmm. uh, called the Crosby. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's an amazing place. It's just yeah. and it's you know it's got beautiful 
sort of little living room setting and yeah. we could be in there and, and it's a nice little you know parlor discussion as it were oh a parlor discussion well that leads me neatly on to my next question which is during our parlor discussion after we've caught up and discussed cocktails and all the wonderful memories that we have in new york um and the topic turns to marketing what are we going to be talking about robert well it's something i've been thinking a bit about as we get ready to conclude the year and and it's this idea of what it means especially in marketing to partner um you know i had this discussion with uh uh you know this director of content and marketing um at a he was at a manufacturing company and he was talking about how they had developed this content plan this year targeting a very specific persona built an entire group around it um and we're you know having some level of traction mm -hmm. and then this year um you know sort of mid-year the company acquired somebody they acquired a new business and basically the senior leadership came and said hey you need to develop a new content strategy for this new um you know this new company right. because they don't have anything right? right they don't have they don't have it and and all of that and so it's a new audience new persona mm -hmm. new content new everything and you know i when we were talking about it he was like i i'm not really sure where to start right with this and i said you know well there's one option you could try which is partnering up with some of the folks in the acquired company and sort of building this temporary tiger team to mm -hmm. figure out how they might offer some subject matter expertise, you know, get you some, ex you know, yeah. get you some expertise in the audience and to help develop a bit of a, a strategy. And yeah. he sort of leaned back and, and, and laughed and this was on Zoom, <laughs> of course, and said, yeah, we're not really good at that partnering thing. And, um, and it, but it rang really true for yeah. me, you know, which is as marketers in business and business is sort of full stop, we're not very good at, at, uh, at partnering, you yeah. know, sort of partnering up and doing joint things with either external yeah. businesses or uh, even in some cases, internal other, you know, parts of the organization. Um, and I looked it up uh, interestingly and there, and, and it's it, strategic alliances between companies fail at a rate of about 60 to 70%. Wow. Um, and interestingly, the, this and this is another fun fact: the current rate of failure for first marriages is at about thirty percent. So you're <laughs> way more statistically likely to fail in a business partnership than you are your first marriage, um, which I think is just awesome. Um, and so, you know, the yeah. you know, you know, and, and as my wife will tell you, you know, it's sort it's sort of like you know, the eh, partnership is a loose you know term, yes. right? She says being married can be like having a best friend who doesn't remember anything you say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think, you know, one of the things that I think about is, is that, is that, you know, as we come out of this year and into next, mm -hmm. the idea of partnering with other companies, other parts of the organization, other businesses that are like ours and attracting and targeting the same audience yeah. is going to become an increasingly important. So we need to get good at it. We need to get yeah. better at it. Yeah. We need to get really, you know, really, really. Um, more adaptable at partnering up with, yeah. you know, all kinds of different uh, groups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, internally, it's it's tricky enough, but I, I mean, I think that um, content marketing can bridge some of those 
gaps, right? If we, because I, I, you know, I, I think about sort of digital publications that um, brands should create, and there is no reason why you can't bring in adjacent vendors or adjacent thought leaders who might not be speaking exactly about the same thing you are, but it's of interest to the same audience. So why not work together and engage in that audience with, you know, a, a content plan uh, that, that sort of engage them across all, all different topics? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you would hope that it, it's just that easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but it's for some reason it isn't, you know, yeah. and it, and, and so many times, you know, when I see, you know, we, we always start these things with the best intentions, right? Yeah. You know, where, you know, we're going to, oh, you know, we're going to have these two agencies that, you know, mm. theoretically don't compete you know, partner up and work together on our project because this, these guys will take this part and these mm. guys will take that part and, mm. you know, and we'll all partner up together and figure this out. And it, and it, for some reason, never goes well, right? I mean, and and it's just, a, it's a really interesting, I think, human behavior where we get very proprietary about things and, and, yeah. um, and don't, you know, and don't work in, in a true partnership, mostly because when we're working on these types of initiatives mm. you know there are risks in them in to some degree and we don't be you know it's like yes true. <laughs> you remember the old you know when you would have to partner together on a class project yeah and there was always that one person on your team who didn't do anything yeah. right and and you know and maybe that was us <laughs> me and you but, but you know there was the one person who didn't do anything but wanted to take credit for all of it yeah right? Yeah. Um, and you're just, and you got so mad at that person because yeah. either you ended up taking on all of the activities of the, yeah. of the team project yeah. or, you know, two people did or three, you know, it, it was never equal. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Um, these conversations we have, cause they're completely unscripted and we don't prepare them, but um, it's funny you talk about internal tiger teams. I'm working with a client. We're talking about internal tiger teams. Um, but also, I have only just last week introduced two agencies together that I I like both sets of people and they do different, they're going to do different things for me working with this client. And um, and I'm, I'm listening to you thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> I hope this goes well. I hope this is going to be in the 30% that succeed. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, I mean, so, so the question is, what do you do about it? Yeah. Right. What do you, you know? And, and I think, you know, the only thing you can do about it, you know, is one of the things that I have, have, have come to realize after doing this for a decade mm -hmm. is that 90% of marketing and, you know, and when I say marketing, I mean, campaign based marketing, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the classic process of marketing and 90% of content marketing, content creation, content strategy, um, has nothing to do with the creation of the thing. It's it's all to do with how well we communicate with each other. Um, uh, and, okay. you know, that's, if you get that true. part right, if you get the communication and collaboration yeah. part right, yeah. you are so much further ahead of doing anything well yeah. um, as, a, as a team, you know. Yeah. I think about the old, um, you know, movies mm. right where you know when i would talk to my friends in the business who are uh you know assistant directors um you know production managers mm -hmm. um producers you know the people behind the scenes of a movie yeah 
And they'll tell you full stop that the the thing that makes uh, any movie work. Yeah, the script is important. Yeah, the you know mm-hmm. the the you know the 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 strength of the director and the strength of the actors. Yeah, that's all important. But what makes it work is when everybody communicates and collaborates together and brings all of their strengths to bear on a on a on a film, because that's when you see the magic happen. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love that. I also love the fact you just asked yourself a question and answered it. So you're interviewing yourself now. So <laughs> I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to make my drink. <laughs> but, uh, and um, I think that's interesting as well because everybody gets really, um, when, when they see the final thing, like if you're launching a website, you're launching an ebook or something like that, people, people focus on the final thing. But I think if the, that collaboration can happen much earlier, and everybody's very, you know, everybody agrees with the general story that you want to tell or the, the tone that you want to use, then the whole thing goes much smoother, doesn't it? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I, 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 I often will, you know, tease uh, marketing groups and I'm like, walk around the office with a Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of the latest performance figures and, you know. Uh, and the and the you know incremental workflow yeah. changes you want to make to make things you know x y z percent more efficient, yeah. and see how many people sh- turn up to that meeting, yeah. right? And, and and then walk around with the latest creative storytelling yeah. comps design yeah. user experience designs, and see how many people turn up to that meeting, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there was that old uh, <laughs> yeah. there's that old and very very true sort of aphorism of. You know, everybody has two jobs, theirs and marketing. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, even in, you know, it, it, but let's be clear when it's theirs and marketing, it's not the, it's not the meat and potatoes part of marketing. It's the pretty pictures and yeah. brand and all that stuff part of marketing. Everybody yeah. has an opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. And also what it should be doing for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, I mean, there is a huge amount that we could discuss. There are all of these different partnerships that we could have, and I would love to pick your brains on, on how best to make, make all of these partnerships work. But we're um we're we're, we're running out of uh, gin, um, and uh, so I'll I'll leave it there. And uh, and so Robert, is this something you've written about on your blog? I have, yes. A, a long a long time ago, I wrote a little bit around uh, partnerships and, and and that sort of thing. But I haven't written about it very recently. And it's you know as I was saying, I was having this discussion, and it's it's made me rethink some of this yeah. stuff, especially in the context of 2020 so yes there's some stuff there but um nothing nothing terribly current and that will be on your website contentadvisory.net which i will include (laughs) yes funny how you can do that now yes (laughs) (laughs) yes that's exactly the place to go (laughs) and uh, we haven't made the dot net being the blue jeans of the internet joke for a while i think we need to read yeah no the dad jeans not just the blue jeans jeans, the dad jeans yes (laughs) Yeah, right. pull them up above your belly button kind of jeans yeah <laughs> and uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking at for you on the socials where can they find you uh, they can always find me on twitter i'm robert underscore rose and then just do a search for robert rose on the linkedin of course and i would love yeah, to connect excellent. with you there and i will include all those links in the show notes thank you again robert and will i see you next week uh, i have a feeling yeah <laughs> <laughs> excellent i'll see you then too Thank you, Robert. I love these conversations. And if you want to hear more from Robert, there's a new episode of the podcast he does with his chum, Joe Polizzi, called PNR This Old Marketing, out this week. 
that I will definitely be listening to after I finish recording this. So that's a wrap on episode 40 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Christine for sharing her insights, to Jeff for allowing me to hit record on a wonderful conversation, and of course to Robert for propping up our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. I will, of course, include all their links in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I would love to know what you think. Drop us some feedback, a review, subscribe, share, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, we will have our final dip into Christine's book. I'll be chatting to Piet Sengerman, who I've known for years as a marketing leader at Chile Publish, who has a fascinating career that includes business development for Apple and Kodak, and has now started his own thing, the rather wonderfully named Yamazoni. And you heard the man. It'll be my pleasure to welcome back Robert Rose to the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.